You know, when I was praying for this message, I was like, bring the rain. Bring it. Do you hear that? Isn't that something? Pastor Fred said, it's hail. It's about this big. No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Hi, I'm Steve Ruggiero. I'm excited to share tonight. I love coming to church um, every weekend, and then we meet throughout the week. You hear us say a lot here that we get to do life together, right? So coming to church, it's like our lives become integrated, integrated. And because of that, I was thinking, you know, we get to celebrate a lot of the highs in people's life, you know? Like recently, one of our very own service coordinator, April Hauser, April, raise your hand, right? She just won the 2017 Modern Technology Leader of the Year, right? I mean, that's, that's one of our own, you know? We got to celebrate those things. So along with celebrating the highs at church, we also find comfort in the lows. For me personally, I lost my mother a couple years ago. It was a difficult time, but I found comfort in the community here at City Life. You know, that's doing life together. So along with the celebrating the highs and comfort in the lows, we also get to experience a lot of first together, right? Like marriages, Babies. I think we got Seth and Carolyn Bridges, right? Having a baby next month, I think it is, right? I mean, that's exciting stuff. High school graduations, college graduations, a lot of good stuff. But tonight, I'd like to talk about one first in particularly, and that's your, a teenager getting their driver's license. Some of you may know, if you remember, Pastor Fred said that his oldest, Derek, recently got his driver's license. He's up there working the lights for me, I think. Um, and I was really excited when I heard that. Because like many of you, I remember, I remember when I got my driver's license. Remember what that felt like? When you held it, it was like, wow, this is a new level of independence, right? I was so excited. I was so excited when I got my license. I went out front of our house, and I sat in the front seat, right? And I said, Mom, you got to get a picture. You got to get a picture of me sitting in the front seat of our vehicle before I take it out. And, and I said, and go get our, my little brother. They swat him up in a blanket, and he was sitting next to me. So my, my mother comes out and takes a picture. And you know what? I have that picture, and I'm going to show it to you. I look a little different, so... So this is me about taking my vehicle away for the first time. Look, now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, some of you are like, whoa, is he that old? I'm in a horse and buggy, right? Is Steve, uh, and when did Steve start wearing a bowler hat? You know, so, so obviously that's not me. But I remember I was excited, right? I was excited when I got my license. I was excited for Derek, but I also had empathy for Pastor Fred and Vanessa, because I also remember when my oldest, my daughter, got her driver's license when she was 16. Is Jesse in here? Yeah, raise your hand there, Jess. Thank you. And I remember when Jesse pulled her 1990 Chevy Cavalier out of the park, out of the driveway. She pulled out, and the further she got from the house, the it, the more my lungs constricted. It was like the oxygen was being sucked from my body, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, my baby girl out on I-64? Are you kidding me? I felt like I was throwing her in the ring with UFC champ, Amanda Nunes, I think her name is, and saying, hey, baby, good luck. 
Do your best. I mean, think about it. I-64, 65 miles per hour for her. If it's scary for me at times, what's it like for her, right? So that got me thinking. Of all the advice that I've ever received surrounding driving, there's one nugget of wisdom that has saved me significant pain and suffering. And I'm going to show it to you. Ready? It's this move right here. Driving. You ready? It's this. Oh. You see that? That was it. That little move right there has saved my life more time. I'm going to show you again, right? Right over my left shoulder. Oh, the blind spot. I can't tell you how many times this little move was like, oh, my gosh, I almost died. I almost died. It was so scary, right? I can't count how many times it saved my life. But to be fair, I've been in both lanes. I've been the one who has maybe not paying attention and moseyed on over until I hear the screeching of the brakes and the honking of the horn. And, and you know when you cut somebody off, they, they wave to you. We've all been waved to, right? Right on the road. We've been there before. Hi, thank you. You almost killed my family. Thank you. And I'm like, hey, sorry. You know, I've been there. And I've also been minding my own business. And somebody makes their way over onto my lane. And then I'm swerving out of the way and hitting the brakes. And then as Christians, what do we do when somebody runs us off the road? We pray for them, right? Lord, I just ask for favor, blessing on these people, right? Just, just bless them. Thank you. Have a great day. Jesus loves you. It's not uncommon. These blind spot incidents, it's not uncommon. The National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration, they said in the United States, we average about 850,000 blind spot accidents every year with 500 of those ending in fatalities. And look, I get it. It's not as bad as drinking and driving. Absolutely. Where 10,000 people every year lose their life. And it's not as bad as texting and driving, which, oh, by the way, has now made its way up to be the number one cause of accidents with distractions. But with that being said, hey, who wants to sign up for this? These are the top five injuries as a result of vehicle blind spots. Right? Who wants to sign up for back and neck injuries, broken glass, internal injuries, spinal cord and whiplash? All because we don't make checking our blind spot a regular part of our driving habit. So if you're here tonight and you've never driven, you don't have your license yet, and you have no idea what I'm talking about, about a vehicle blind spot, this is a definition. It's an area around a vehicle that cannot be directly observed by the driver while at the controls under existing circumstances. So why am I telling you this? Why am I talking about vehicle blind spots tonight? I think probably most of you know. See, because I believe, just like some of you believe, that just like a driver of a vehicle, you and I, we have blind spots as well. We have blind spots. If you remember, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Fred stood right here, and he said, and I quote, I have blind spots, and you have blind spots. I was sitting over there, just like you are. And he said that. I was already working and preparing this. So when he said it, I was like, wow, that's good confirmation. Obviously, some folks need to hear this, right? But he had no idea what I was talking about. God was already planting seeds. And when I first started studying and doing my research on these personal blind spots in our life, I thought they were just maybe some troublesome behaviors that we have, right, that need a little tweaking so we can have more constructive relationships. But the more I began to study these things, the more I began to see they're more than just nuisance habits. 
And this is how I define for tonight us a personal blind spot in our life. It's an area in our life, yours and mine, every one of us in here, that we cannot easily observe and that left unattended will hinder or injure us and those we encounter. That's a blind spot. You hear people talk about it all the time. And oh, by the way, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 20 years or 20 minutes. In fact, it doesn't even matter if you're a Christian. We all have blind spots. And if you're thinking, well, look, I'm a pretty rational person. I don't know really if I have them. Manfred Ketz the Vries is an author. He's a kind of clinical psychologist. And he said this. He said, even the most rational people have blind spots. And even the best people have a shadow side. A side they don't know and they don't want to know. He went on to say that we even increase and insulate these blind spots with defense mechanisms so we don't even know why the behavior or the motivation behind them, even though everyone in our life, yours and mine, they see them. Listen, blind spots are true obstacles in our life. They're significant barriers that affect our spiritual growth, our emotional health, and our relational depth. And here's the thing. That gospel that God has entrusted us with because of blind spots is at best at times hidden and at worst lost. So that's why I want to discuss it tonight. I want to talk to you a little bit about these blind spots because I believe in each and every one of our lives, if we shed some light on them and we begin to take actions to reduce them and mitigate them, then we can close the gap between the person that we are today and the person that God has called us to be. Which reminds me of something else that Pastor Fred said when Shani spoke about the persecuted church. She came up and said, listen, folks, we're not just trying to occupy your time here. We want to make a difference. Isn't that why we're here? Don't you want to make a difference? Before we make a difference out there, though, we have to make a difference in here, in us. And this isn't a new concept. In 2002, then Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld, right, he was given this briefing to the Department of the Defense. And he said, he said, you know, we know that there are known knowns. There are things that we know that we know. And then he said, and we know that there are known unknowns. These are things that we know that we don't know, right? Gaps in our knowledge that we can probably close if we pursue greater knowledge, right? And then he said, but there's also unknown unknowns. There are things that we don't know, we don't know. And this is the most difficult category. And this is where our blind spots live. Some of you here tonight be think, might think, okay, Steve, I hear what you're saying. I agree. There's probably some things that I don't know that I don't know. But you know what? There are enough things that I do know about that, I, that I occupy my time that I'm working on. I don't have time for those. And I would say, you know what? I'm glad you're working on them, as am I, on those things that we do know about. But you know what I found? And this is important. I found that the very things that often prevent progress in those things that we do know about are the things that we don't know about, right? So we're wondering, why am I not making progress in these known areas? And I would say because oftentimes it's in the 
unknown areas. And that's why we're going to talk about it tonight. We're going to talk about the blind spots. Keyword being blind. I believe there's a couple different types of blindness. There's a physical blindness. We know about that, right? A condition of the eyes that the individual can't see. But there's also a perceptual blindness. This is a psychological lack of attention or awareness. That's not the result of any deficiency or deficit in our eyes. And then there's a spiritual blindness, which is an inability or an unwillingness to perceive divine revelation. And I'm going to cover some of the perceptual blindness tonight, but, but how many of you know that there's often a fine line sometimes between the spiritual and the natural? So I'm going to touch on some spiritual principles because I believe that they have great effect on our perceptual blindness. Amen? Now, Jesus, he addressed this in his day, didn't he? We know he healed the blind, right? Remember, I was blind, now I see. We know he did that, but do you know he also dealt with people's blind spots, the perceptually blind. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, or your phone, turn with me to Luke 18. This is the story of the rich young ruler. Young, he's probably 21 to 28, ruler of a synagogue. He cuts through the crowd and he comes up to Jesus. And it says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why, why do you call me good? No one is good except God, God alone. See, the first thing Jesus does is he addresses the way this man addresses him. See, back in those days, pupils didn't address rabbis as good because good was reserved for God. So I think it's interesting that Jesus right away identifies if I'm good, then I'm God. Amen? And then Jesus goes into answering his question. Okay, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Jesus immediately references five of the Ten Commandments. But these five commandments that he references, check this out, they all have to do with human relationships. Those are the five that he talks about. He doesn't talk about any of the first four that have to do with this man's relationship with God. The young man responds to Jesus. He says, hey, look, you know, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And now the key part of this verse. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus looked into this man's heart, and he identified a blind spot. For him, it was his wealth. And how did he respond? When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This man's wealth folks, was an obstacle to him following Jesus. Up to that point, this man had no idea. He'd been following all the commandments, or so he thought, his whole life. So he comes right up to Jesus himself, and Jesus says, it's great, you're doing all this. There's one thing. Here's my point for tonight. I believe we all, we all have things in our life, even those things that we're not completely aware of, that compete with our commitment to following Christ. There's stuff in our life that maybe we're not even fully conscious of that's competing with our commitment to following Christ. So the question is, when Jesus identifies it, how do we respond? 
What's our response to him when he says, hey, there's one thing that's preventing you? See, I believe this man believed. And yet Jesus identified something hidden in him. Could it be? Maybe? Possibly. There's something hidden in us. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we even find out what these things are? Well, I'm certainly not going to put a list of 60 things up on the screen and have the person next to you point out what they are in your life. Okay? But here's what I want to do, two things tonight. First, I want to identify just a couple areas of where and why, how these things originate, get nourished and grow in our life because they're hindering us and hurting others. And then at the end, we'll spend bulk of our time there, but at the end, I'll share a couple of things the way I believe we can reduce and mitigate it. Why is this important? Because we talk about blind spots. Tonight, I want to go behind the curtain. I want to let the Holy Spirit in our life to help us identify these things so we can become who he's called us to be. So we're going to identify a couple areas. Let's look at the first one. The very first area where our blind spots develop It's interesting because it's the most common area. But it's also somewhat of a paradox. Because the very things that drive us can derail us. The first area is in the area of our strengths. It's in our strengths. Well, sorry. It's in the area of our strengths. We've heard it, haven't we? We've heard them say, your greatest strength can be your greatest what? Your weakness. When we mismanage or misuse our strengths, they hinder us and they hurt others. They hurt others. But since these blind spots are so closely connected to our strengths, we cling to them. You and I, we hold on to them. We justify them. We rationalize them, right? Maybe it, maybe, maybe... You're the really caring person who always has a kind word for somebody. But yet you won't say a word to that same person when they're doing something wrong. Maybe you're the really strong type A leader who gets things done, but sometimes you get things done at the expense of people's feelings. Maybe you're the really passionate person who attacks problems and issues and and I'm going to get this done, but then... On your journey, you can't see where you've gone off path or gone wrong. Maybe you're the really organized, you're the detailed planner who, who maps everything out and gets everything, and everything's got its place in its time, right? It's great. We love you on long trips, right? But yet that re- you're so rigid and inflexible that you make others very uncomfortable. Or maybe, maybe even you're the really funny person who has a great sense of humor. You make everyone laugh, but then you hide behind that same humor when someone asks you to get real. These very gifts, these strengths that we have, they're given to us to unite, to build up. But when we mismanage them, when we don't pay attention to them, they divide and they hurt. Paul knew that. So when he wrote to the church in Rome, 
12.5, he said, listen, in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Right after this, Paul goes in and he begins to list some strengths and gifts. Listen, he says, we all have different gifts according to what? The grace given us. If their gift is prophesying, let them use it in proportion to their faith. If it's serving, let them serve. If it's teaching, hey, let them teach. If it's encouraging, let them encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let them give generously. Hey, if their strength is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Let them do them. Let them operate in their gifts. Unfortunately, though, in our humanity, we have a tendency to see our gifts, the ones that we possess, as more important. More important. Ron Hembry, in his book, The Speck in Your Brother's Eye, he said this, whether individuals or denominations, look, all of us get tunnel vision and we tend to see the kingdom in the context of our own work. Our attitude or position in relation to our frame of reference becomes exceedingly narrow. And I'll add, hurtful. Hurtful. Ultimately, the blind spots that are associated with our strengths have a tendency, they have a tendency to manifest themselves in a lack of understanding or empathy towards the people who don't have the same gifts. So we end up collecting around people who have similar gifts, and, and sometimes that blind spot becomes a sense of superiority over those who don't possess these same gifts. And we end up either feeling better than or we force them to acquire the same gifts we do, we have, rather than celebrating the very gifts that they have. Not easy to hear. But this is the most common place this happens, in our strengths. When we do that, we're feeding those blind spots and we're hurting the body. We got to shine the light on that. If we're to close that gap between who God's called us to be and who we are, we, we have to be willing to look at that together as a community. But that's not the only place where there are blind spots. There's another one. And this one has to do with our past. And I call it scripts. You, you've heard us talk about scripts in city life before. See, scripts, scripts is when old patterns of behavior make their way into the present and cause us difficult challenges. A negative script is defined as this. An internalized message from the past that shapes our conscious and unconscious behaviors in the present. You and I, we can try to ignore these things, these scripts, but our bodies remember them especially when they're tied to difficult memories. That's why years later, something happens, and you respond, we respond in such a way, with such emotional intensity, that's so much greater than what the situation warrants. We've seen it, right? We're like, whoa, calm down. You know, where's that coming from? 
it's a great indicator that you may want to, huh, over the shoulder, what is it? In their book, Love and War, John and Stacy Eldridge, one of my favorite quotes, said, our brokenness combines with our sin and it produces a style of relating, an approach to life, which to us feels so utterly justified and so perfectly reasonable. But in fact, it's the very thing that will destroy us and those around us. In psychology, got some psychology folks in here. The term is called transference. It's transference. It's this compulsion, this urge to return to the past, to repair unresolved issues. And then what we do is then we come to the present and we transfer, direct, all of those unresolved problems on the people in the present. When in fact, what we should be doing is through prayer, having conversations with some of those people from our past, which oftentimes is maybe our parents, siblings, significant others, right? Look, anytime unresolved issues from the past show up in our present, you know what it reminds me of? Do you ever go to baggage claim at the airport? Everyone's walking with their bags like this. This is us. This is us when we pull all the bags from the past. We're just wheeling them to the front. All this baggage. How many times have you heard people say, oh, man, they come with what? A lot of baggage. Let me say this. Just between us. We all have baggage. We all have baggage. Every one of us shows up to Jesus with a 24-foot U-Haul to the top with baggage. If you're here tonight and you think you don't, Say hello to your blind spot. Hello, denial. Amen? The Latin word, this is interesting, for baggage is impedimenta. It's where we get the word impediment. And it means to hinder one's growth. To hinder one's growth. That's what these bags are doing. When we're bringing the past into the present, what does that look like? I don't know. Maybe you're the one that, that raises your voice and gets really agitated anytime there's really difficult discussions. Or you're the one in the meeting that, that wants to argue every single point, right? You're the one who can't say no for, for fear of rejection. Or you constantly hear disrespect in every comment against you, you know? Or maybe you're the one that wants to run away every time... This, the conversation begins to get a little uncomfortable or real. Look, a lot of these things, you and I, here sitting tonight, we look really nice tonight. But let me tell you, there's some things from our past that are trying to come up today, and they're staying right about in this area in our blind spot, and yet here they are, hindering our progress and what God has called us to do and be, and it's hurting other people. And we, as the body of Christ, have to have the courage to take a look at it, to take a look at it. When we're carrying the weight of these unresolved issues to the front, to today, it can be heavy, right? It feels like just a lot of stuff. And that's why Jesus said, 
Listen, he said it to you and to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Isn't that what we need? When the past is is paralyzing our present, he said, take my yoke. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When we begin to open our past to the Lord Jesus, he takes our bags, and he tells us to run in the freedom that he's called us to run in. It's interesting that I finished that area. We went strengths, went scripts with take my yoke upon you. Yoke is easy, burden is light because our next area kind of ties into a little bit. It's stress. The third area. Now I know a lot of people are like, man, dude, I've heard about stress. I get it. Got stressed down. Stress is when the pressures of life displace the peace that Christ has promised. When the pressures of life displace the peace that Jesus has promised. Now, I know we've heard about stress, right? Everything ranging from heart disease to high blood pressure to high anxiety. But yet, we are so involved in all our stuff that we can't even take a step back to look at our own lives objectively. Let me tell you, I think in many ways, stress is the most deadly. You know why? Because it's covert and it's subtle. It's subtle. It has what, I, what I've heard in business talk about is an opportunity cost. Because it's, we're choosing things today. We're putting things on our plate. We're piling it on. And every time you and I do that, we're not doing something else. And I'm afraid that something else has a cost. And by the time we realize it, the money's gone. The relationship is over. Your health has deteriorated, right? And the time is lost. There's a cost. There's a cost. 12 o'clock today, a guy knocked on my door. Today. I'll go open. It's my neighbor. He just got back from Panama. He's my age. And I said, why'd you come back early? You come back a couple days early. He said, well, the night before I left for Panama, I start having like an anxiety attack. He said, I've never had one my entire life. But I was like, whoa, I'm having a hard time breathing, right? I'm supposed to go to Panama tomorrow. So he goes to MedX, Medical Express or something on Warwick. And they said, whoa, man, your enzymes are high. So they put him in, a, in an ambulance and they run him to Riverside. He's telling me this today. And, and they're hooking them all up. They're checking them out. And he's like, God, what do I got? I'm dying. What, what do I got? You know what they said? Stress. Stress. He's like, no, no, I've, I've done way more than I'm doing right now. I've done way more in the past than right now. And the doctor said to him, your body is telling you, slow down, slow down. But that's the tricky thing about stress. He looked at me and said, dude, I don't even know what I feel. I mean, I didn't know anything's going on in my life in the blind spots. And yet his body said, stop. I'll admit, busyness and stress, it's one of mine, hides out in a blind spot, keep piling things on. My wife got one of those heavy-duty flashlights, ding, 
starts looking at my blind spot, baby, slow it down. You're taking on too much. You're doing too much. I'm like, you know, I'm okay. Just like my neighbor. I'm okay. Listen to me. Constant busyness, it will, it doesn't only create blind spots, but it damages your soul. It damages your soul. John Orberg, in his book, Soul Keeping, he calls it soul fatigue. Soul fatigue. Tell me if this sounds like anybody you know. He said soul fatigue attacks the body. Listen, when we stay up too late and rise too early, who could? (laughs) Where's my family? My whole family. This is like their MO. When we stay up too late and rise too early, when we try to fuel ourselves for the day with a coffee and a donut in the morning and a Red Bull in the afternoon, when we refuse to take the time to exercise and we eat foods that clog our brains and our arteries, when we constantly try to guess which line at the grocery store is going to move faster, right, or which car and which lane at the stoplight is going to go, right, which parking space is closest to the mall, our bodies grow weary. My point is this. Stress causes soul fatigue, and soul fatigue causes blind spots. It causes blind spots in our life. David wrote, one of the most famous, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and he refreshes my soul. There's a reason why I bolded that text. See, he has to make us lie down. We're like children at bedtime. It doesn't matter how tired I am. Do you ever see your kids? You're like, they're falling asleep, heads are dropping, they're cranky, right? And you're like, okay, time to go to bed. I'm not tired. I'm not going to bed. I'm not going to bed. We're like, you're falling asleep right here. Oh, I'm not good. I'm good. I don't need to go to bed. We're the same way. Hey, you need to slow down. I'm fine. What are you talking about? I'm not going to bed. I'm good. I got this, right? And then people start telling us things like this. How do you do everything you do? It's amazing. Wow, we can, we can always count on you, right? You're always there when I need you. Hey, if you don't do it, who's going to do it? Or one of my favorites. Have you ever heard, if you don't take your vacation, you're going to lose it. You know, these are all cues for you and I to do this number. Over the shoulder, check the spot, check the blind spot. The last place I want to talk about, right? We talked about strengths, we talked about scripts, talked about stress. This is the last place. Sociability. And it's not social skills. Sociability is a person that is marked by friendliness or a pleasant social relationships. Remember, folks, people flocked to Jesus. They wanted to be around him. They wanted to be around him. Do you have a disposition that is such that people want to be around you? Does it draw them in or push them away? I mean, 
you know how many times I've heard, hey, man, I would, church would be great if it just wasn't for the people, right? I love God. I just don't like his people. We've heard it, right? Listen, let me let you in on a secret. Christianity is in the people business, okay? It's in the people business, and the product is love. The product is love. One of my favorite definitions of love outside of 1 Corinthians 13 comes from 1972. Milton Meyerhoff said this. The selfless promotion of the growth of another. That's love. The selfless promotion of the growth of another. You know, he goes on to say that love never loses the capacity to transform everything it touches. And this shouldn't really surprise us. Didn't Pastor David just speak about love last week? Right? And since we're talking a little bit about driving tonight, we actually have a professional driving instructor in the room. Scotty Moriarty, raise your hand, please. We'll drive it now. Scotty's heard all these kids. He knows them all, right? So our driving instructor gave a message this morning at Base Camp Men's Group, and he talked about we need to be a lighthouse, right? We need, we need to shine the light for people. And, and I think it was Chuck Jordan who said, hey, and no, by the way, those lighthouses during the day when things are sunny, it don't really matter. But at night... When things are dark and the storm's raging, that lighthouse saves your life. The question is, when other people are going through the storms in their life and storms are raging and the waves are crashing, are you the lighthouse that shows them the way? That shows them the way. Jesus was clear when he said, a new command I give you. Don't take my word for it, even Pastor David's. Take Jesus. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Let me tell you what's interesting about this verse. We're almost done. Right after Jesus shares this, he begins to talk to them about what's to come. He says, where I'm going, you can't go. Not right now, but you will later. He's talking about his death, right? Well, Peter says, no, Lord, where are you going? Where are you going? Because wherever you go, I want to go. I want to go. And then he says, Lord, I'll lay my life down for you. Do you think Peter was just speaking hyperbole to Jesus? Or he was just like being, well, whatever. Or do you think Peter believed it? When he said, I will lay my life down for you, Lord. Blind spot moment. Jesus says to Peter, and I think he says it to you and I too. Will you really? Will you really lay down your life for me? See, Peter, because before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Not once. If that would have been enough, not twice. Three times. You think, you think Peter was like, wait, you'll deny me. Will you really? See, I think that we feel that same way. I think that every one of us said, Lord, I'll lay my life down for you. And he says, will you really? 
Will you when I, when I ask you to, to forgive? Will you really when I ask you to apologize? To love? Will you really? Let's let him shine the light. Peter believed. The creator of the universe has entrusted you and I with a message. With a message. But who wants to hear the message from somebody who's unkind, cruel, cranky, frustrated? You and I. We're the ambassadors of the gospel. But how, who's going to come to us if we're like, whatever. Or we're so aggressive, we just pull people right over. You know? So some of you are thinking, wait, wait. Did he just tell me to be nice? Did I come to church, get my car pummeled with hail? So Steve could tell me I need to be nice? Is that what he's saying? That's exactly what he's saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yes, we do. We need to be nice. Rohit Bhargava, a book called Lycanomics. Look what he said. Love this quote. In order to be more believable, and more trusted. Two things we need to do, we need to be for the gospel to get spread. Would you agree? You need to be more likable. You need to be more likable. Sure, being sociable is easier for some than others, but it doesn't mean you're exempt. It doesn't mean you're exempt. You know, I've been asked, hey, Steve, how do I love people that I don't even like? Can I have the worship team come up, please? How do I love people that I don't even like? Tim Sanders wrote a book in 2005 called The Likeability Factor. And in this book, Mr. Sanders identified four critical components of our personality. That he said, you know what? There are four things that if we learn to enhance, we can be more likable. Mm -hmm. Number one, ready? Likeability factor. Number one, no big surprise, friendliness. Friendliness. Just being open and, and welcoming. Friendliness. Number two, relevance. Relevance. Find something that interests someone else. You'll be more likable. Number three, empathy. The capacity and the ability to recognize and acknowledge other people's feelings. No big surprise. Number four, he calls realness. 
This is integrity behind our likability. I appreciate Mr. Sanders. I do. Here's, my, here's the thing, though. Do we need a book from somebody to tell us how to be likable? Right? You and I have the power of the Holy Spirit, the Savior of the world, living within us. Do we need an author to give me four points to be more likable? When we have the author of life living inside of us, who's given us the book, the word of God, to be likable, everything we need, he gives us. And I promise you, here's the secret. The closer you get to Christ, the more you draw to Jesus, you will be willing and motivated to draw to his people. Get close to him and you get close to them. I told you when we started, I would give you four things. Strength, our strengths, the scripts that play in our life, stress that we keep piling on, and the sociability, the ability to just welcome people. Let me give you a couple things that we need to do to reduce the blind spots in our life. We've looked behind the curtain. We provided some time tonight to at least have a conversation about the things in our life that are hindering our progress and hurting others. And here's four things. Four things that I ask you to just consider if you want to close the gap in your life. So when we go into worship, I want you to think about these things. The first one, to eliminate, to mitigate the blind spots in your life and mine, the first thing we need to do is we need to pray. We need to pray. The Holy Spirit is called the counselor for a reason. He knows exactly what it is. That's why I gave you the examples. When Jesus looked at people, he said, this is it. This one thing. So you need to pray. And as we worship, then you need to pray. Lord, what is it? What is it in my life that's keeping me from being who you've called me to be and from helping the people you've created and you love? And then you listen. Number two, after you pray, listen and look for patterns. Look for patterns in your life. I had a guy one time I was counseling who was going through his fourth divorce. He tells me, I just got to be honest. Can I be honest with you, Steve? There are no good women out there. Four divorces. I'm like, can I use the oft expression of what's the common denominator? Bro, look at the pattern in your life. Look and listen for patterns in your life. The answers are there. Third, have the courage to ask for feedback. Ask for feedback from some trusted friends 
that you're willing to say, hey, can, can we be honest? What are the things in my life that you see holding me back? Have I hurt you? One of the things I love about this church is that we have some difficult conversations. We're not afraid. We meet on Saturdays last week at Zoe's Kitchen. There was 22 city lifers sitting there eating at Zoe's Kitchen. And you know what we were talking about? The message. Taking it out of here and putting it in here. Ask for feedback. Find someone that you trust and say, hey, man, is it me? What do you see in me? And then lastly, commit to making small changes. You didn't get here overnight. You're not going to resolve it overnight. But just commit to making small changes. And I promise you, you pray, you listen, you ask for feedback, and you commit to making those small changes, and you will begin to reduce the blind spots in your life, and you will become the person God has called you to be, and you will help and love his people. Let's worship.